Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 104 of the Modern Classrooms podcast. It's wild to just say the number 104 and podcast together. This was such a small idea before um, it launched years ago, and here we are. And yet again, I'm excited to share that we have Dr. Catlin Tucker with us. We did an episode. It was our 100th episode that we had Dr. Catlin Tucker on with us just to talk about blended learning in general and the beginning of the school year and all that good stuff. Today, the focus is really going to be on routines and procedures. I think every educator knows that routines and procedures, when done well, have a profound impact on your classroom. And when done poorly or when non-existent, can be quite challenging. So um, that's what we're going to talk about today. Catlin, how are you? Welcome to the podcast again. Thank you. I'm doing really well. Good. And if you haven't noticed everyone, and if you haven't been paying attention to some of our email outreach, uh, Catlin has been all over uh, our content for some time now, just hosting webinars with us. And that's just because there's such clear alignment between Catlin and the Modern Classrooms Project, and certainly what I think about high quality learning in the space. So um, Catlin, let's just like start with what makes routines and procedures different when we think about the classrooms that I think you and I quite frequently talk about? I'll just generally call them student-centered classrooms that leverage technology. Um, how do you think educators need to think differently about routines and procedures in, in the classes that we support? And, and maybe more generally, how did you think differently about them when you started to redesign your classroom? Yeah, I think as we embrace these learning environments where students have a lot more control over their experience, routines, procedures, kind of class norms become critical to the high functioning of a learning community like that. So when you're in a student-centered classroom, you're going to have these moments where you're engaging in conversation with your classmates, you're collaborating, you're creatively problem-solving. So there are kind of procedures and routines that guide those interactions and What's going to keep those interactions feeling safe and positive and supportive and productive? But there's also this component of the student and their ability to self-direct, to self-regulate. And so those are kinds of different routines and procedures that we have to onboard kids to so that they can be successful in both of those different modes, whether they're working individually, self-pacing on their own through something, or whether they're joining a collection of peers and working through a shared task or um, kind of sequence of tasks tasks together. You know, this, this highlights, I think, actually, I mean, I think if you just study the routines of modern classroom educators or educators you've trained and who've, who've used your strategies effectively versus traditional educators, you can probably highlight just how different the classrooms are through understanding the routines. Because when I taught traditionally, my routines were compliance all day long. It was like control compliance, control compliance. It was like <laughs> this way, look at me this way, listen to me this way, take notes this way, which like in retrospect just is awful. So I think you highlight something important, which is that routines in a modern classroom are all about empowering kids to be, you know, in the driver's seat. 
And that's a very different type of routine than when you come in here, you sit in that chair and you wait for me to say a bunch of things and then you write them down in a specific way. Um, With that being said, I think you probably agree that at least I see this and and I don't know if this is something you ever run to. We often sometimes will run into folks that will... They'll think about routines about technology, like how do you grab your laptop? Like how do you find your headphones? But they won't necessarily think about routines to help students be self-directed learners. And sometimes it leads to a lot of screen time and a little bit of disengagement in the classroom. So I'd love to hear from you, like, how do you think about different types of routines? Because not all routines and procedures are the same. They're there for different things. You know, what what types of routines and procedures kind of from a high level do you think about and, and how do you think about categorizing them based on purpose maybe? Yeah, I think one of the first things when I'm in a coaching session with a teacher that I want to understand is how is a class period book ended, right? So I hear a lot of teachers struggle with classroom management. And the first thing I ask is, do you have a welcome routine? Is there something you have in place? So the minute students come into your physical classroom, they know what they're supposed to do. Are they logging into your learning management system and accessing a particular task? Are they setting a goal for themselves for that class period, be it academic or behavioral or what have you? There's something about beginning a class with a routine to avoid exactly what you're talking about, which is kids mill in, they kind of take a seat, everybody's chatting, they're looking to the teacher to kick the class off. And there's no reason that the teacher has to be the person to launch the class. In fact, if kids come in and they know there's a task, they know where to go to access it, they, they're comfortable in that routine because we've kind of trained them to do this every time they come in our class, there doesn't have to be all that wasted time and chaos in the beginning of a class period. So that's always where I start as a coach is let's talk about what that could look like. And it doesn't have to always be, you know, retrieval practice. It could be all kinds of different things. Maybe we tried something new on Monday and we come in on Tuesday and the welcome task is couched in our learning management system like always, but maybe it's a feedback form that day where we're asking students for feedback on the lesson the day prior, or maybe it's that goal setting, or maybe it's some kind of creative writing task. But the, the task itself doesn't have to be the same, but that start of class routine, I think, is critical. And then at the end of class, how are we wrapping it up? How are we creating closure? Are we using that last kind of activity to collect formative assessment data, encourage a reflective practice? So typically that beginning and end of class kind of routine is where I start. But then within the actual kind of um, bulk of the class, there are routines around workflows. I think there are routines around, you know, how do we effectively interact with others? I think there are routines around how are we tracking our progress as a learner? Um, How do I access support from my teacher as I'm self-pacing through a unit? So there's lots of different kinds of routines we want to think about. But For teachers who have struggled with classroom management, struggled with students kind of staying on task, I think that early work we do at the start of the school year to be really clear and hopefully engaging the students in some of the conversations around what would keep this learning environment 
working well, feeling safe, feeling productive, feeling positive, and allowing students to have a voice in things like co-creating some of the expectations and norms and, and really thinking about things like, well, if there's a misstep in this classroom, what are appropriate consequences? So it's like, I almost feel like so many teachers come in, they're like, I got to get into curriculum. I got to get into content. I'm just going to give kids this syllabus with all the rules and expectations and like, let's move on. And the reality is the first six, eight weeks of a school year, you are building routines. You're, you have to be consistent and you have to model things for students so that then the rest of the school year, they can and really start to take ownership of their learning in this in this space. I love that. And there's a lot to unpack there. And I really want to start with opening and closing routines. And I, that one's really a big deal for me because that I actually think maybe is the biggest misconception about self-directed learning, student-centered instruction, is that like you don't need an opening or a closing, that kids can kind of just come in and learn and then leave. And I think it's such an interesting misconception because we push at the Modern Classrooms Project, as you know, no lectures, right? Like don't lecture at kids. That's not a good use of their time. It's not a good use of your time, all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean you can't do an opening, right? In fact, the opening is core to the learning experience. Um, and so often what will happen is folks will merge the two and think, well, if I bring everyone together at the beginning of class, well, then I'm teaching traditionally or I'm lecturing. Um, and that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. And we oftentimes will reiterate this idea and have now included a lot of good content in our courses about this, that opening class with a structured routine, particularly one that brings kids together, is really, really valuable. And connected to that misconception, a lot of times people will say, well, how do I have a routine to open class if every kid's on a different task? There is this kind of like the only type of opening routine to do is that is one where everyone does the exact same thing or everyone's learned the exact same subset of skills. So just curious, can you talk a little bit about some opening routines you found effective in classrooms that work in a self-paced setting where everyone is on a different lesson once the bulk of the learning experience starts? Yeah. And I think what you said is critical. I think there's that misconception that the opening has to be content specific, right? And how do I how do I do that if everybody's in a different place? But instead, if we think about the opening as there's the routine part of it, which is simply the expectation when you as a learner walk through this door is that you sit down at your seat, you grab your device if this routine is typically hosted like I said in a learning management system or a class website. Or if it's something they're accessing offline, potentially grab what you need to engage in this routine. But the routine itself does not have to be tied to a particular standard or like chunk of content. I tell teachers all the time, like first, we do want students retrieving past information over the course of a school year. What we know about brain-based research is that retrieval practice um, and spacing it out over time is really, really valuable and is going to help kids retain information. So if we do want some, you know, welcome routines that have an kind of a content-specific mode, maybe it's not content you're in right now. Maybe it's the learning cycle or unit from the last kind of uh, chunk of time with students or, you know, even earlier than that. And then also thinking about, because we're going to talk about self-direction and self-regulation skills, which we know in a blended learning environment, in a modern classroom project where kids have more control over their experience and their pacing, they have to hone those skills. They just have to get better at self-regulation. And so thinking about things like 
How are we cultivating those skills? Can we do some metacognitive skill building in these early moments in class, whether it's goal setting or, hey, your your routine this morning is to look at this specific piece of work you did in an earlier class or that you did last week and engage in a self-assessment and a reflection of, you you know, how did you do on this piece? Um, Or maybe it's something like, like I said earlier, a feedback form or a reflective practice. So I think just kind of thinking outside of the box in terms of the kinds of activities that would be useful in providing us as educators with formative assessment data about where kids are at, what are they retaining in terms of prior learning, and then also how are we helping them to build those metacognitive muscles, create a to-do list for the week, reflect on their learning. All of those pieces, not tied to curriculum, are still so incredibly powerful to couch in kind of this beginning of class routine. I could not agree more. And, and you know, one of the things that I oftentimes feel like I say quite frequently is kids are not at the same pace whether you put them in a fixed pace plan or not. Right. So like the notion that your routines in traditional forms of instruction were effective because you said we're going to talk today about how to find the slope of a line. It doesn't change the fact that kids were at very different learning levels when you did that, whether it was fixed pace or flexible pacing or self-paced. So I always tell folks like release kind of that assumption initially, like my routines work traditionally because every kid was on the same thing. They weren't on the same thing. You maybe told them to be on the same thing, but they weren't on the same thing. The second thing, I just love the idea that, you know, kids don't and maybe shouldn't start the beginning of class always with content. Um, They certainly didn't start my class that way. Um, One of the most popular videos we ever created at the Modern Classroom Project with Edutopia is the Do Now structure that we created, where the Do Now has almost nothing to do with content, and it's exclusively an executive functioning exercise. Like, what are you doing today? What do you plan to accomplish? What lesson are you on? Are you ahead, behind, or on pace? What what are you feeling today? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you down? Like, all those kinds of very simple but quick check-ins. Because one of the things that I think has been sort of conditioned out of students is to be present and metacognitive. Like they come to class so consistently after years and years of traditional instruction where they're sort of spoon-fed every action step they should take in the classroom that they don't actually stop and think, wait, what am I working on? How does this connect to the larger scope of the learning experience? What should I get done today? Because they're so used to like, hey, we have 60 minutes. The first five minutes is this. The next 15 is this. The next 20 is this. And by the way, every single person can do the exact same thing. So I really think the power of using that initial amount of time to be metacognitive and just all about goal setting is, is one of the best ways to do that. And one of the things I encourage folks to do, and I don't know if you feel the same way, sometimes people will feel like, well, if I do that, I have to do it with every kid and every single kid. I need to check every kid's metacognitive. I'm almost like, really? Do you really need to? You know, like I do, you don't want to create a structure where you do it, but then never check. Because then obviously students who don't see the value in it can start to come up with kind of tricks to get around it. But I'm like, you don't need to check that every day. Um, And you can come up with tricks to like check the ones that are most important to check or if there's a student you're concerned about. Is that how you see it? I mean, given given your your initial reaction, sounds like you agree. Oh, first of all, like, I get it. I did it. I did it for five or six years, maybe seven years. It just that feeling of, well, if I'm asking them to do it, then I have to like, look at it. I have to give feedback. I have to give a grade or a point value or why did I assign it? And it's like, 
man, there are some tasks that we ask students to do that benefit the learner, right? They're, they're setting them up for success potentially on a future assessment. They're setting them up for success to drive their own learning. And so one of the things I've done when I've coached teachers or facilitated trainings and we've gotten into metacognitive skill building is I remember working with a team of sixth grade teachers and they were like, we love it. We want to build metacognition and kind of these routines into class. Let's figure out what that looks like. And so we ended up creating a Google slide deck and it had five slides, one for each day of the week because they saw their kids for 65 minutes a day. And basically on Monday, it was short form goal setting. What would you like to achieve or work toward this week? What specific actions and behaviors do you think will help you make progress toward that? What's it going to feel like or what do you expect to kind of experience when you achieve this goal? Tuesday was always kind of like a retrieval brain-based review of something that happened far earlier in the year. Wednesday, they created this kind of like um, peak their interest with media. So they would have some kind of a video clip or an image or an infographic, and then students could either kind of respond in a written piece or a recording. Um, Thursday was a reflective practice about what had been going well that week and what they had they challenge what had been challenging and what questions did they have. And then Friday was like, hey, let's revisit those goals from Monday and reflect on your progress and what you might want to work toward in you know, the next week. And what was interesting is this created this template and they had a welcome routine template slide deck and then an exit activity one. And each week they would just make a copy of the template and they would modify really just the retrieval practice on Tuesday and the Wednesday kind of pique their interest with media related to something they had been learning. And they ended up using basically Google Classroom to make a copy for everybody at the beginning of the week. And then when they would meet with students, so thinking about being in the modern classroom, you're you're having students come to your table, you're checking in about their progress, you could always pull that slide deck up and like reference it as we're talking to learners. I see this is what you're working on this week. How's that going? Do you need more support? Are there hiccups you're hitting where you know you're feeling frustrated or you might need some personalized instruction? So I almost feel like, why would I grade that? That's a obviously a routine that's benefiting the learner, but I can pull it up and have it be this reference point when I'm sitting and having those conversations with individuals and small groups of learners. And I think that system, particularly for that, that group of sixth grade teachers, was really helpful because it created this kind of ease around being really consistent. Um, and then students had some variety in the week in terms of what they encountered, but there were also days like the goal setting and the reflection and the revisiting goals that always stayed the same. You know, I like that consistency and I like the, the variability too, right? It's like there's a consistency, but then things look a little different. The other thing I heard there, which I think is so important is, you know, you could just have a conversation with kids about content that happened previously in a previous unit or that's coming. Um, and it can be really powerful. And the way that I often describe opening routines is there can be structure to them around goal setting and self-direction. But if you want it to be content-based, you know, you just don't have to be that rigid with it. There's so many creative and interesting ways to think about content delivery and, and covering new skills and standards that don't have to be like, hey, you're supposed to be on lesson four today we're going to cover something related to lesson three, four, or five. And I think one of the things that actually reinforces is that you learn stuff in this classroom based on units and we follow a pacing structure, but learning happens all the time. Mm 
So I can bring in a math concept unrelated to this unit because I thought it was cool and I wanted to share it with you all. And I wanted to chat about it for five to seven minutes or something like that. Um, it's kind of, you know, relieving folks of that pressure. And, and if you're, you know, in a tested subject and you say, well, it's got to be aligned to, to what they take in the test. That's a whole different discussion. What I'll, all I'll say is there's a lot that's going to be tested. So there's some creative and cool things you can bring in from other units that either foreshadow what's coming or cover what happened in the past. So I really, really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk now a little bit about sort of class time because I think the opening and closings are so, so important. I think particularly that opening is really, really important. Um, then class starts. Uh, and I sort of see routines. Tell me if I missed something here, but I'd sort of think about class time routines in three parts. They're sort of like the procedural style routines to make sure that the classroom is like safe and functional. Um, then there's the routines for teacher to student conversations whether that be content or non-content related, building relationships or intervening when a student has a master's skill. And then the third is routines connecting kids with kids um, or students with students. First of all, is there a category you think I'm like completely missing? And by the way, I sort of made this up on the fly. So if this is a (laughs) graphic organizer or some sort of graphic one day, then it happened right here, right now. But those are the three that I thought of. Yeah, I think I would have a a very specific category around student with tech routines. I think so many of our learners, like their phones, their devices are an extension of their physical bodies and they're so used to having them all the time. And one of the things I got really frustrated with as a teacher was I obviously love technology and the way it positions students to have more control over their experience, but they're not very good at, okay, if I'm at a group and we're using our computers or devices as a resource, but we're working collaboratively. If there are moments when we're not in the computer and we're having conversations about something that we encountered online or something we watched online, I don't want the screens still up and creating almost like this physical barrier to those conversations and collaboration. So I had to train my own students like, hey, when I pull you guys back together, if I have to make a quick announcement or I want to clarify something, I want you to tilt your screens. If you're at your desk and you're collaborating with technology, the parts of that work when you're not engaged on the computer, let's tilt those screens. Let's talk about why we would do that, what message it sends when the screen is tilted down and we're making eye contact with our classmates. So that's another one where I just feel like it's easy to forget that the technology can be really distracting. And what we want it to be is this really useful vehicle for kids to drive their learning, not this obstacle that kind of gets in the way of that human to human connection in a classroom. I love this. And I want to be careful of time because I also want to get to student student interactions and then building relationships with students. Cause I, th- I think those two are really important, but there's a part of this I really want to dig into because I think at least if I speak on behalf of my experience and certainly an experience I've seen when watching classrooms and that I've heard from educators is sometimes it can be really hard to pull kids off the tech. Mm-hmm. And in particular, I'm not even, I mean, I think we all know it's hard to get students to not be on their phones. Right. And it's kind of intuitive. Like, don't be on TikTok. Like, right. cool. That's clear. That's just more of like, a, there's a mass addiction happening and we got to figure out a way to like deal with it. And I don't think it's worth getting in a long debate about, you know, 
I don't, I, we're probably, we probably agree, frankly, because we seem to agree on most things, but like, <laughs> should you take phones away and all that kind of stuff? Like, that's a whole different story. I'm actually just referring to like, I have a self-paced unit. Kids have work time. They can collaborate or they can work with each other. The work is not all on the computer, um, but the kids and students seem to always want to have their computer open. Yes. They seem to just like want that thing to just be glowing in their face. Um, <laughs> and it's like, I remember seeing this and I would get frustrated because I'd be like, just like put the computer away. Yeah. And they'd be like, why? I like having it opened. Um, you know, I can Google stuff easily or, um, you know, I go back and forth to the LMS and I'd sort of just kind of, and I, and I don't think I did this great. I'd sort of articulate, Hey, if you're not using the computer and you just leave it open, your eyes are going to be drawn to it. It just, it's just like an existing distracting thing. And it's powerful to kind of close it and put it away. And I, I felt like I was sort of mandating that at a certain point, which was useful. I just don't know that I articulated the rationale particularly well. So just curious, like, how do you think about that side of it? Like, how do you get students to understand themselves that having their computer screen out all day long, while maybe seemingly useful because it's an information machine right there, um, not actually productive for them? Yeah, I remember very early on doing some role playing with my students because I had been trying to get them to kind of like de-screen, right? Like close the computers or at least at the very least just tilt it, tilt it so that you're not distracted by the colors and the light and the movement or whatever's happening on your screen. And I definitely got some pushback from students who were like, oh my gosh, Tucker, like what's the big deal? And I said, okay, we're going to, we're going to, do some role play. I'm going to give you guys a chance to kind of show what it looks like when you're interacting with your peers and, you know, you're talking and somebody's on a device or somebody's, you know, looking at the screen of their computer repeatedly or not even making eye contact with you. And it was so interesting because we would have basically there were little acting troops. They had kind of came up with scenarios themselves of like, how could technology be misused and make other people feel like they're not important or that, that we're not really listening to them or um, we don't want to work with them. And I think seeing it was actually this game changer for my students. And it was after that series of role plays that they came up with the scenarios, they acted it out after each little performance. We talked about it. What happened? How frequent are these kinds of interactions in your lives? Like, how do we avoid this? And it was after that we actually came up with as a class community, like a handful of norms around computer use. And I did not have the pushback that I had been experiencing for like the four months prior. And so I think there's sometimes students don't understand or think about the way their engagement with technology when they're in a social setting or when they're in a collaborative academic task kind of endeavor, how, how that actually what it looks like and how it feels for other people and raising that level of kind of self-awareness and social awareness, which are really important social emotional learning skills anyway, I think is really, really powerful. I'm just mad at myself that I didn't do that because <laughs> it would have been so fun. And it's so obviously the gap. I mean, in my opinion, the gap between what I was seeing and what they thought I was seeing was clearly the problem, right? Like I'm looking around and I'm like, do y'all see that there's like a machine that's always in between you and the world? Um, but they're not seeing that. But if we if we did it as a group, 
it would have been so fun. And I think it would have been quite obvious. And obviously creating those expectations as a community just changes everything. So I am very confident everyone listening is going to appreciate that. Um, very cool. Okay. Let's talk. Um, before we close today, let's talk student, student, what routines did you put in place? And I, and I want to focus on that self-directed learning time. So I, I know there's routines that just like everyone can do that say, Hey everyone, we're going to go engage in a collaborative activity. Great. We're going to split up into groups and we're going to discuss this prompt. Um, there's an awesome uh, video built by Kate Gaskell, which is like a discussion bags routine. The modern classrooms where one of the opening routines actually is to give a little discussion bag into tables and they would talk about it. So I think structured kind of connection time student to student feels relatively straightforward. What I think people struggle with the most is actually cultivating collaboration student to student in that unstructured time. And that's, you know, that's self-directed learning time. Hey, all of you are going to tackle your lessons self-paced. Um, and you should lean on your peers, not me as the educator to support you in that journey. Any ideas or thoughts on how to best cultivate that student to student conversation and connection during that time? We call it organic collaboration, by the way, as opposed to sort of um, planned collaboration. Yeah. You know what I think is critical is the planned collaboration has to happen first. There's so much of this skill set when it comes to small group discussion and peer-to-peer collaboration that they're just not very good at. You know, these are learned skills. They're skills they hone. So for teachers who are thinking, gosh, discussion is a really important part of meaning making. I want students at different points in their self-paced journey through a unit to have moments where they find a partner or they find a collection of other students in kind of a similar place ready for this conversation to engage with each other. But to assume that that's going to happen successfully without laying a really strong foundation is unfortunate because they're not going to do it naturally and they're not going to do it very well unless we onboard them. So I remember in the beginning of the school year, I would start kind of the the discussion work whole group in the sense that like, okay, we're going to go and do what I called four corner conversations, which just meant I counted kids off by four. The ones went to one corner, twos to the other and so on. And they would sit in a circle at first. I gave them the discussion prompts and I encouraged them to kind of have conversations for a good 10, 12 minutes. And I would walk around and I'd observe and I had like a single skill rubric. And so sometimes I'd be assessing and just like, not for myself, but just, Hey, on the rubric, this is what I'm seeing and hand it out to kids. And then slowly it was about them starting to design the questions. It was about instead of my assessing them and giving them that just quick formative assessment data so they could understand what I was seeing. Then it was also they would end those small groups with a self-assessment using that same single skill rubric. How do I think I did in this discussion today? What do I need to work on in the next discussion? Is there any part of discussion that's challenging for me where I might need support? And then once we spent, and I'm going to say that a lot of this foundational stuff takes a good month and a half to two months at the beginning of the school year before really I was able to kind of release it over to students. So as they were like self-pacing through a playlist, for example, when they would hit a moment in the playlist where I had encouraged them to engage in a discussion, then it became, 
what's the workflow for connecting with somebody else who's ready for this discussion, right? And and some teachers that I've worked with will have like a, a spot on a front board where you just put your name with a post-it, like signaling, I'm ready for a chat. The next person who puts their post-it up there, we're going to connect and have a conversation. Um, sometimes it was linking students, um, you know, kind of informally in a playlist, like you had a playlist partner, or you had a playlist team, so that for those offline learning moments, you kind of went to connect with those folks first to see, is anybody ready for this? Like, this is where I'm at in the playlist. Um, You could also think about, and I did this in my own classroom, kind of having like zones, different parts of the learning environment that were kind of designed for different things. So I had my teacher-led kind of area where I was connecting with students in small groups and individually. There was a place that was very much kind of like quiet corner. There was like a little collaboration space toward the back. And so I was started just allowing students like move into the space that is going to be the best fit for where you're at as you self-pace through this playlist. Or do you need to be in kind of this quiet corner without distractions, um, you know, self-pacing through instruction, doing some practice, writing, whatever it is, or are, are you needing to interact with other people? Do you want to go to that collaboration station in the back and really have an opportunity to organically work with somebody else who's kind of in a similar space? So I think there's lots of different ways to tackle it, but being really clear about foundation setting and making sure students can be successful engaging with one another. That's the first step. The second is really about figuring out how do you facilitate those organic connections as students are self-pacing through a unit. I think that's so interesting. And and there's really two themes I hear there that I think are so important for everyone to remember. First is to be explicit. It's a skill. It's not that easy. I think it's actually quite difficult for adults too. Um, So like model it be clear about it, articulate how to do it. Um, and, you know, that's why one of the strategies we use frequently in modern classrooms, ask three before me, works quite well, actually, because it's so clear. It's like, go ask three students before you come and talk to me when you're struggling with a skill. And, you know, it does that accomplish high quality collaboration? No, but it gives a starting point for students to be like, all right, if I'm confused, the first thing I'm going to do is actually isolate a few students I can go to just to pose the question. Now, you know, sometimes you'll see kids and students just like walk around and go, you know, is this right? Is this right? Is this right? I asked three people, is this right? I, they, they said it wasn't. Can you help me? Right. And that's okay. But it just gives a, a starting point. The other theme I heard is just patience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important. And if, if there's an instructional coach, administrator, or leader listening, I think it's very important for leaders to hear that too. Yeah. Right. Like it takes time for students to feel comfortable collaborating because they're new to each other, but they're also new at the skill. So if you're going to walk into a classroom September 8th and go, I didn't see robust discussion today. It's like, all right, well, it's a little early, like be patient. And some days, by the way, like that's not actually what the classroom's for. So I think it's important for teachers to be patient and to be explicit, but it's also important for leaders to create the conditions where students can learn that over time. So I think that's really, really powerful. Um, All right. Last routine question. Then I have like a closing question for you. Building relationships with students, teacher to student. And maybe this doesn't have any routines for you. I was just curious, like, do you think about the relationship building process between teacher and student to to be supported by some clear routines? Yeah, although I think my perspective on this is a little bit unique. So I when I talk with educators, because I you and I have spoken about this, I think when you 
embrace the kind of learning environments we're talking about, you really start to understand that we cannot do this well if we don't view our students as capable partners in this work, right? We we can't do the lion's share of the work in a modern classroom, in a blended learning environment. The student has to really show up and they have to cultivate the skills necessary to drive their own learning. And that partnership, we have to really nurture in the beginning of the year. So in the beginning of the year, there are definitely, I think, ways in which teachers can facilitate some, obviously, community building among all members of the class, although I think the teacher needs to be part of that. So for example, at the beginning of the school year, I would I remember early, early on teaching, I would like have kids write me a welcome letter. The welcome letters were terrible. They were like the best anecdote for like insomnia if you wanted to try to get to sleep because they just, the kids didn't know what to write in them. They weren't interesting. I didn't learn a ton about them. And so I remember shifting over to something I call the random autobiography where first night's homework assignment or a first task was really like, I want you to write me a random autobiography, which is basically like a free verse poem. And each line is composed of some random fact about you, your life, things you enjoy, foods you hate, whatever, places you've traveled. Um, And so they would be like this page of just really fascinating information about kids. And I always started by reading my own and I was vulnerable in my own. I share some things about my life where, you know, I think it helps kids to connect with me. And then lots of quirky things about how I love spicy food and scary movies are terrifying, but I watch them anyway. And all of these things so that kids can kind of get a sense of who I am. And those pieces are important that teachers engage on some degree in that community building so that we become these actual human beings in the eyes of our students and not just the teacher. But through the course of the school year, for me, the routines that I leaned on the most to cultivate my relationships with students were not these like fun, you know, creative add-ons. They became the routines, quite frankly, that I used to, or the things, the tasks and responsibilities I used to take home. So how I ended up feeling like I actually built really strong relationships with learners was when I would pull feedback into the classroom and students would be working on, you know, whatever multi-step, it could be a writing assignment, it could be a performance task or a multi-step project where I was dedicating my time in class to meeting with individual learners to talk about their progress and give them focused, actionable feedback. And then if they had produced something that I was going to assess, that happened with them sitting right next to me in a side-by-side assessment where I did a think aloud, I'm filling out the rubric, they can hear everything that's going through my mind as I look at this piece. And then I turn to them and I say, hey, do you have questions? And then we'd engage in conversation. Um, It was using that personalized instruction and kind of facilitation to respond to individual and small groups needs where I felt like that was relationship building. So what I would love is for teachers to Think about the tasks we are just responsible for in this profession and think about how could we use those, like pull them into the classroom and use those as opportunities to connect with learners, build those relationships and create a lot of transparency about student progress. Conferencing is another one, really sitting down and talking with students about something that is meaningful for them, letting them decide how are we going to use this conference time? What would be the best way to focus on it? So 
it, it's interesting how my approach to building relationships with students kind of evolved as I started seeing these everyday tasks as opportunities to do that. So my routines and norms are really about how am I making time for feedback every week? How am I making time for side-by-side assessments? How often is conferencing going to happen? Well, and I think I think one thing that folks will lose track of, and again, I think it's the transition from traditional to non-traditional practices, is this overstructured model for executing some of these things that actually should just be natural components of a classroom. Because when you're when you're teaching traditionally, there's 35 kids in the room. You're like, how do I build relationships? Well, we're going to do this like icebreaker. And I get it. Like, you got to do something. You're teaching traditionally. I did it for years. And I was like, all right, the way we're going to get to know each other is we're going to do like four icebreakers in the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then like, all right, I think we know each other. Let's keep moving. Um, Obviously, that's not how it works, right? Um, so I think one of the most important things I realized, it was both the rationale for building the model, but then also how I conducted myself in the classroom is like, to treat my students as, like you said, like colleagues of mine in the classroom, which means I want to know more about what's going on. I want to know why they're struggling and why they're not struggling. I want to ask the follow-up question. And when they give me information about them, I want to take note of it and I want to remember it, right? Like that is just a set of ideas that we would apply to any adult interactions we have. But I think we're so used to not being able to apply it to student interactions because we just don't have the time. And then we forget wait a minute, we all actually know how to build relationships. We just haven't been afforded the time, the space, the structure to do that in the classroom setting. And then finally, when you launch a classroom like a modern classroom, you are afforded that. But people go, well, then what do I do with that time? And it's like, well, you don't actually do know what to do with that time. You just haven't applied it to the classroom setting in a really long time, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest, I mean, honestly, one of the biggest missed opportunities that I witnessed last year. I think everybody was so excited to get back into physical classrooms and kind of like there's this huge focus on learning loss that I actually think that really critical community building, like making time for human interaction after these learners and us as teachers, quite frankly, had been socially isolated for so long, hadn't been in these structured academic environments. You know, we get kids back in there. We didn't necessarily take that time to build that really strong foundation of a learning community um, to re kind of teach some of these really critical skills like inter and intrapersonal skills that then, you know, students really floundered and they didn't do well. And we're, and, you know, we, the educational community, we're really frustrated. But I think the more we invest in this part of the learning community, kids learning about each other, us learning about them, them learning about us, creating routines where we're constantly having these moments of human connection absolutely critical to the long-term health of our work over the course of the school year. I totally agree. I think there was a lot of terrible messaging that led to last year being this like race. And I was always like, what are we racing towards? Um, Like, I just don't even, I don't even get it entirely. Um, So I could not agree more. And and obviously when students feel supportive and they feel safe and they have strong relationships with students, it just has such a massive impact on their motivation and desire to learn. So I could not agree more. Um, Well, as usual, the time is passing incredibly quickly. I have one last question, (laughs) Uh which is, and I'll answer it myself too. What is your favorite routine or procedure? This is like some nerdy teacher stuff right here. Um, Favorite routine or procedure either you've seen or you've done in a classroom 
in your life? Oh my gosh. My favorite. Okay. Well, I, this is a really challenging question because I've seen a lot of really cool stuff, but I will share that I have been in a lot of classrooms where teachers are implementing the station rotation model where kids are rotating around the room to different learning activities. And one of the things a lot of teachers struggle with is just the transition between stations and like, how do we make this work well? And I remember going into a class where the teacher had just every routine around station rotation from like where they access stuff to how they move to the next station. So dialed in. And I'll never forget after the like little bell that indicated that the station time had ended that kids, I just watched them like this well-oiled machine, like wrap up and clean up. They put the supplies back in the buckets in the middle of the table. They just started like organically standing behind their chairs with their bags. And I was like, this is so fascinating. And then once all the students were standing behind their chair, this, the Mission Impossible music when it came on and they had like a set amount of time to get to the next station and get settled. And I just thought, man, teachers are the most creative people. Like I just, it was so cool because there was so much that clearly happened behind the scenes on that. And the kids clearly loved the routine and it was so effective. It was, it was awesome to watch. I can imagine that now. It sounds absolutely <laughs> Um, I'm going to name like three rapid fire ones. The first is there was a teacher in, in DC public schools who demanded that students articulated verbally that they are ready for the mastery check before they ever got the mastery check. There was something so small, but metacognitive about that. And I would watch students in that moment to say, actually, no, um, I'm not. And then go back to their desk and study a little bit before they'd go take the mastery check. And I thought it was just a, a really powerful thing um, to, to just condition students to say, hey, pause and reflect on whether or not you've actually digested the skill fully before demonstrating your understanding of it. So that one was awesome. I really liked, this is also, I'm naming them because they're quick. This one was a it's very common in, in a lot of the educators and I use it, but I think I saw the first example of it before it ever got baked into our resources, which is the stoplight model for questions. So you just have on the board or somewhere like a red box, a green box and, a, and an orange box, um, just like a, a stoplight. And then red means the question's urgent. You know, orange means the question's not that big of a deal, but it, you'd like to get it answered pretty soon. And green's like, I just have a question. It's not that serious. And I just found that so interesting because in the beginning, literally every student just goes straight to red. And it's yeah. like fascinating exercise supporting students and understanding how to think about classifying their questions. And I also sat there and I was like, I'm really bad at that. So like, <laughs> that's a really good thing for me to think about. Like I should probably write down my questions in different, in different classifications as well. And then for me, I'd say the most powerful routine I did is in my classroom with some level of cadence, sometimes it was every two weeks, sometimes it was every month, students knew that we would come to class and I would basically do nothing but have one-on-one -on -one conferences with students. And it wasn't that complicated. And I think tons of teachers do it. I just think it was so powerful. And I think when you run a student-centered classroom, you can actually not worry about that time where you're just meeting one-on-one -on -one and speaking for five or seven minutes with each student while kids are learning. And it's like, yeah, you weren't, you know, watching over them and maybe engagement was a tiny bit lower because of that. But the benefits of those one-on-one -on -one conversations were powerful and they were meaningful for the students. And in some cases, students were a little nervous about them and excited about them. So that was the last one. 
Well, and I, I will say, I think what's interesting in education is this expectation that kids need to be focused and on task and engaged at all moments in their entire school day. And I'm just like, I think about myself on a typical work day, like that's not realistic. And I have to jump in with one more that I used that I loved. And it kind of reminds me of your classifying questions is, have you seen that kind of urgent, important grid where you can kind of think about, is this urgent, but unimportant or urgent and important? And I remember just dealing with so many kids who didn't know how to prioritize everything on their to-do list with seven classes and sports and all this stuff. And so one of the exercises we would do every week was what's your like to-do list this week? The things you know you have to accomplish. Let's graph them out on this grid. What's urgent and important? What's urgent and unimportant? You know, like how are we going to allocate our time? And that was a fascinating exercise for them as well, because by the time we got halfway through the school year, you'd start to hear them be like, well, I know that's important, but I have this other thing that's really urgent and important. (laughs) Just be like, okay, that's great. I love it. I need to apply that framework to my life. Jeez, like really do. I'm thinking about it right now because we use Asana at Modern Classrooms Project to organize to-do lists. And I'm like, I can add another field. Um, This is fascinating. Very cool. Well, as usual, Catelyn, fabulous to chat. Um, I know we'll be back at it for one more podcast at the very least together on the Modern Classrooms one to talk about um, a future topic. Very, very useful. Incredibly insightful. I learned a ton. I know um, our listeners will as well. Um, Great to have you on as usual. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.